Social Ventures Australia brings you this podcast from the SVA Quarterly, sharing insights from SVA's work and from across the social sector. My name is Jonathan Finnegan and I'm a manager with SVA Consulting. This is a podcast of an article that we recently published in the SVA Quarterly called How Can Evaluation Better Recognise Indigenous Self-Determination? It's the second in a series of articles in which we explore the role of data and evidence in relation to delivering improved outcomes for and with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. The first article explored the importance of data sovereignty for improving outcomes. Data sovereignty is about Indigenous peoples and organisations having control over how data is defined, collected and used. In this article, we're going to take a closer look at evaluation. We share some of the perspectives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander leaders, evaluators and civil servants who we've worked with or interviewed for this article on how evaluation practice needs to change consistent with the rights of Indigenous self-determination. The article looks at five areas for improvement. The first is that evaluation commissioners should invest in more and better evaluations to build a stronger evidence base. The second is that evaluation commissioners and evaluators should ensure Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples take the lead in defining what successful policies and programs look like. The third is that evaluators should use genuinely participatory and culturally appropriate methods for gathering data and consulting community and that evaluation commissioners need to pay for these methods. The fourth looks at evaluation commissioners. The fourth is that evaluation commissioners should invest in building the capacity of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations in evaluation, learning and improvement, not just funding external evaluations for compliance and funding acquittals. Finally, that evaluation commissioners and evaluators should ensure that evaluations collect information about strengths, opportunities and existing resources. By evaluation commissioners, we mean those who commission and pay for evaluations, whether they are government, private funders or service delivery agencies. By evaluators such as SVA, we mean organisations who conduct evaluations in response to commissioning organisations' requirements. Although these five areas aren't comprehensive, they do provide us with a starting point for those of us working in the field, whether with government, service providers, or as evaluators, as we seek to lift the standard of evaluation and ultimately improve policies and programs that are affecting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Evaluation has a poor track record in recognising Indigenous self-determination. The UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, or the UN DRIP, as cited by the Productivity Commission, defines self-determination as the right Indigenous peoples have to freely determine their political status and freely pursue their economic, social and cultural development. In exercising this right, they have the right to autonomy or self-government. While the UN definition is helpful, it's important to acknowledge that the principle of self-determination has different meanings for different Indigenous peoples. Broadly, we understand it to encompass notions of choice, control, respect, freedom and empowerment. Evaluation is today used as a key mechanism for making and justifying decisions about what policies are needed 
and how money should be spent on programs and services. So the quality of evaluation and how evaluations are conducted play a critical role in upholding the rise of Indigenous self-determination. Romley Mokak, a commissioner with the Productivity Commission, says that my learnings over these years are fairly simple really, that those who are most invested and most impacted must not be assigned to simply the policy vendor. They must be the designers, the architects, the builders, and even the evaluators for impact and change. Unfortunately, evaluation as a practice doesn't have a good track record of recognising Indigenous self-determination in Australia. In June this year, the Australian National Audit Office reported that the evaluation framework for the Australian government's $5 billion Indigenous Advancement Strategy, or IAS, had no reliable method for measuring long-term outcomes, a full five years after the IAS was established. The IAS was set up in 2014 under the Abbott government. It brought all Commonwealth government programs and policy making for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, with the exception of health, into the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. While the IAS has an evaluation framework, the Australian National Audit Office found that the agency was still only in its, quote, early stages of implementation. The case of the IAS is emblematic of how mainstream institutions and federal and state governments have historically approached the evaluation of Indigenous programs and policy. That is, not doing enough evaluation, not doing evaluation in a way that is consistent with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's right to self-determination. Gabrielle Johnson, Senior Project Officer at Victorian Aboriginal Childcare Agency, or VACA, in the Outcomes and Evaluation team, told us that mainstream approaches to evaluation don't necessarily have the right approaches or methodologies to capture the work of Aboriginal community-controlled organisations, which are also known as ACOs. She goes on to say that ACOs have been working with their communities for decades. They know their communities and they know what works for them and how to look after them. But there are no data systems in place to capture that work with Aboriginal communities and the knowledge of the Aboriginal organisations. In this article, we shared some of what Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander leaders, evaluators and civil servants are saying is needed to build better evidence in a manner that is consistent with the right of Indigenous self-determination. So the first point is that evaluation commissioners should invest in more and better evaluations to build a stronger evidence base. A fundamental issue is that there simply aren't enough quality evaluations to build a documented evidence base on what works. This isn't just a problem associated with the IAS. The Productivity Commission's Indigenous Evaluation Strategy Issues Paper cites a 2016 analysis that estimated that less than 10% of programs for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are evaluated. Conducting better evaluations means defining good practice and standards of rigour in evaluations. Evaluation approaches need to identify culturally appropriate ways of working that capture Indigenous knowledge. To do this with rigour, VACA is drawing on research evidence, practice wisdom, and client preference in designing its programs. This includes an emphasis on privileging the often undocumented practice evidence of its last four decades of working with children and families. 
Another key consideration for evaluation commissioners is to co-design evaluation methodologies and approaches with ACOS. This should include what data will be collected, how to minimise the burden of data collection, and how to maximise the usefulness of the evaluation for the organisation. The second focus area is that evaluation commissioners and evaluators should ensure Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people take the lead in defining what successful policies and programs look like. Because evaluation is about values, it matters who defines what is valuable, good or successful. And if evaluation is going to support better outcomes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, then they need to take the lead role in defining these terms. Many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations and communities are already defining what successful policies and programs look like in their eyes. But they need governments and other funders to support this work. As Carly Warner, now CEO of Aboriginal Legal Service New South Wales and the ACT, Limited, noted in our previous article in this series, if we had a greater role in defining, collecting, analysing and controlling our own data with true data sovereignty, then ACOs could determine what is working and what's not, and communicate that impact before governments make policy decisions for us and without us. At the moment, many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations and service providers have to navigate the tension between what community members and staff believe is important and what funding bodies want to see. Melanie Ashman, who is an evidence and research officer at VACA, gives an example. She says that staff and community members in a program logic workshop often know what outcomes they would like to see for a program. And sometimes there is pressure to try and achieve things that may not necessarily be as important as other outcomes. Governments and private funders make it difficult for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations by not giving them the space to define success in their own terms. The third focus area is that evaluators should use genuinely participatory and culturally appropriate methods for gathering data and consulting community, and that evaluation commissioners need to pay for these methods. Because it also matters how evaluators go about collecting data from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. The data collection methods used, how people are consulted, how much time is spent visiting communities and when, the language and methods used and who is consulted are all factors that influence the quality of data and the potential for evaluation to support community capacity and self-determination. Jason Elsgood is Director of Cross-Cultural Consultants, a consulting community engagement and training firm based in Darwin. He says that conventional approaches to evaluation with fly-in, fly-out consultants visiting on tight timeframes and using highly structured data collection tools that focus on answering specific questions just don't work, particularly in remote communities. He says that there's a constant flow of outsiders coming to community to capture information of all sorts. If you're looking at people who don't know the community, they don't know who to speak to, where to speak with people to get engagement, what country is appropriate or not, what community events might affect participation, or how to engage in language. He also says that up here in the Northern Territory, we've got over 50 Aboriginal languages and there are over 100 dialects within that. So if you're engaging community in English, they can't engage from a position of power in their own language. So already we're setting up the process to be dominated from that one cultural point of view. 
Cross-cultural consultants' community engagement method aims to get around these issues by selecting community members to conduct local consultations, who are called Aboriginal Community Engagement Specialists, or ACEs. The ACEs are briefed on the evaluation purpose, scope, and key questions, provided training, and supported through consultations. Rather than conducting formal surveys, the ACEs collect data through informal discussions through families, kinship networks, and at community gatherings. Another central part of the ACEs model is feeding back to the community. Elskud says that we call it closing the loop. It's really important that the ACEs go back and discuss with the community what was heard and what the next steps will be, or whether information has gone. Because otherwise it can impact the ACEs relationship in the community, and also the community's motivation, because they don't see the change attached. They just think, what was that all about? And there's a lot of fatigue. While participatory methods like this are no doubt more expensive, Elskud believes that you have to invest these resources for a rigorous evaluation. As he explains, you can't get direct and critical answers to evaluation questions unless people have a relationship with you. If you try to plan for two to three weeks to build those relationships and community, it's quite often seen as non-productive or too expensive, when in reality it's the critical part. So the key takeaway is that unless consultation is properly carried out, the information collected will not be useful and evaluation will not produce valuable learnings for policymakers and funders. The fourth focus area is that evaluation commissioners should invest in building the capacity of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations in evaluation, learning and improvement, not just funding external evaluations for compliance and funding acquittals. Evaluation, data and evidence should help us learn about what works and what we can do better so we can improve policy and programs, not just prove whether they are working or not. This reflection and learning could be a shared enterprise between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community controlled organisations and the government agencies that support them, where both parties sit down to look at data to understand what's happening, why and what can be done. At the moment, these opportunities are being missed. This can come down to how data collection databases are designed and used. Carly Warner from Aboriginal Legal Service New South Wales and ACT Limited described that the database that we use generates a file report of raw data and we are obliged to send this to the Attorney General's department. The data is then fed into another data system that reads and arranges our data through a process designed and controlled by the department. So we don't know there's a problem until the department says there's a problem. Harnessing the potential for evaluation and data to enable improvement rests on funding bodies in investing in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisations to build their capacity and to develop internal measurement and evaluation systems, as well as building trusting and respectful relationships and working with them collaboratively to interpret results and identify solutions. The fifth and final focus area is that evaluation commissioners and evaluators should ensure evaluations collect information about strengths, opportunities and existing resources. Evaluation also has greater potential to build knowledge about solutions if it shifts to focus on existing strengths, opportunities and resources that policies and programs can build on. 
Carly Warner explains that we have a lot of qualitative data about our clients' unique strengths and abilities through our service delivery. If we were properly resourced to collect, analyse and interpret this data, we would have a better evidence base of how family and culture is a critical protective factor to reducing contact with the justice system. Jason Elskud notes that cross-cultural consultants' community engagement tries to focus on strengths, needs, opportunities and challenges because it's what we need. He further explains that we're thinking about how we can make change, what we can do, as opposed to looking at the risks and threats to doing something differently. That's probably a challenge for bureaucracy. We do need to consider just a fundamental shift in the way we do it, because ultimately if we don't, we'll be in the same position in 20 or 30 years. There is hope for the future though. Collectively, these changes mean fundamentally overhauling the historical approach to evaluating Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander policies and programs. And there are many valuable lessons in the above that could be applied to the evaluation of policies and programs for non-Indigenous people too. This includes involving end users and community members in designing and evaluating policies and programs, shifting from a strict focus on accountability to learning and improvement, focusing on people's strengths and opportunities rather than seeing them as a problem, for example, in SVA's recent mental health perspective paper. At SVA, we are seeing these trends through emerging place-based initiatives and an increased emphasis on the use of co-design in policy development and program design. There are good reasons to be optimistic that Australian governments will improve the way that they evaluate policies and programs for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. First, the Productivity Commission, under the leadership of Romilly Mokak, has begun developing a new whole-of-government evaluation strategy for the Australian Public Service and any programs or policies affecting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Mokak, who was previously the CEO of the Lewitcher Institute, has expressed an intent to improve the Australian government's track record in evaluating Indigenous policies and programs. He said that the notion that we just bolt on evaluation at the back end or close to the back end of a program, I'm hoping those days might be passed. He has also reinforced a crucial point made by several of the practitioners that we interviewed. That is, that the views and knowledge of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and organisations should be incorporated into policy development and program design, as well as evaluation. The second positive sign is that there are signs the Morrison government aims to improve on the IAS's poor evaluation track record. It dissolved the IAS on the 1st of July 2019 and began transferring its functions to a new agency, the National Indigenous Australians Agency, or NIAA, under the leadership of Ken Wyatt. The NIAA has been given orders to improve evaluation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander policies and programs. Ian Anderson, who's Deputy CEO of the NIAA, identified two broad agendas for government evaluation in this area. First, repositioning the relationship between Indigenous Australians and the public policy process. And second, the professionalisation of public policy, which he has stated includes building the skills and mindsets within the public service to enable evaluation. At SVA, we'll be watching closely how the Productivity Commission and NIAA follow through on these renewed commitments to improve the evaluation of Australian government spending in Indigenous affairs. 
It's critical that evaluation commissioners and evaluators are thinking about the implications of self-determination for the design, delivery and evaluation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander policies and programs. The five areas for improvement that we've identified in this article are not comprehensive, but they provide a starting point for reflection and action for all of us working in this area. We're certainly at the beginning of our journey at SBA. Related podcasts and articles can be found on the SVA quarterly site, www.socialventures.com.au forward slash SVA hyphen quarterly forward slash. Thank you.